podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. So welcome back to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. Well, I was originally going to have my next episode be a mindfulness exercise. And truthfully, I've already recorded that episode, but I haven't edited it and I haven't uploaded it. And in the meanwhile, something quite awful and tragic has happened in our country. Today is May 30th, 2020. And all over the news right now is a tragedy about a black man named George Floyd. And I cannot get his story off my mind. I'm literally nauseous about it. And I thought about it and... I decided, okay, I'm going to do my next podcast about him and my thoughts about that whole situation. So basically, for those that don't already know, because I assume people will listen to this episode at different times, George Floyd was a man in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and from what I understand, he went into a liquor store or some uh, supermarket, you know, it's like a local, um, maybe a five and dime type store, and tried to pay with something with what the owner was felt to be counterfeit money. Okay, and, and maybe it was, okay, I don't know, that's really not even the issue, but what happened after is what's caused all the hoo-ha, and deservedly so. Because he was held onto the ground, on the concrete, next to the curb, next to the police car, by a police officer who had his knee on George's neck, kind of pushing his face into the, into the curb. And I think there are at least three other police officers standing around, And George was repeatedly saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and no one did anything. The police officer just kept his knee right on the neck of George Floyd for at least five solid minutes. And George lay there and died. Now... I am going to exert every bit of control I have, which sometimes is quite a bit and sometimes is nothing, uh, to get through this without breaking down. And I will. Um, I'm telling myself that. You will, you will. (laughs) Um, So what happened after that? The reaction. There was pandemonium. Uh, Minneapolis turned into, at least the the area right around where it happened, and the downtown area was just crazy. There was fires lit. Uh, They they lit, I think, the whole 
police station was set on fire, the whole building. I think there was like four stories of it. I saw bits and pieces on the news. You could see flames coming out of windows. Um, There was just huge rage um, being just exploded out when people found out what had happened. When nightfall came and word began to spread, all kinds of people came out and the rage was, was manifested in a lot of fires being set to area businesses and windows being broken, um, cars being set on fire, uh, gas stations being set on fire, which, okay, that's a little scary because, you know, but people weren't, you know, they weren't really thinking. Um, they were just so enraged. And, of course, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but you get a wide, uh, a wide assortment of individuals that come out when something like this happens. And some of them decided to loot a lot of the uh, area stores. One comment was heard on TV that, well, they have insurance. Um, one, one business, I'm, I'm told... I didn't see this myself, okay, but I'm told they said on the news that there's a reporter that it was act- actually owned by an African-American family, and uh, it was just destroyed. And so you get people that come out that just sort of get on the tails of something like this and use it to their advantage. But it was just the the anger and the rage at what had happened to George, and and not just him, but it's like, there's been one after another, after another, after another, after another. I think the rage seems to be this nothing's changing. And I would like to say that I understand the reaction, and I think I understand it philosophically, but I, I would be, I would think it would be offensive for me to say as a, a Caucasian person that I truly grasp the rage um, because I understand I was born with white privilege and that is a thing. And so I understand it as much as I'm able, the, the hopelessness and the anger and the rage of why these things keep happening, why there seems to be a difference in response from, from police officers, from from people in the legal community, and, and it's by by all means, this is not everybody. Okay, there's a lot of wonderful police officers out there that do great, great things. Um, lawyers that stand up, you know, for the rights of everyone. But what happens is that when something like this of such a magnitude happens, it's like all the good stuff just feels like it's just evaporating, and everybody just zeroes in. It just, I think it's the hopelessness. It's just like, again, when is this ever going to stop? Um, there's also been some uh, protesting where, you know, there'll be large groups of people, and not just in Minneapolis, but across the country. As, as the news of this is spreading, groups of protesters would get together and they're shouting their message while they're, you know, holding their protest signs. I very much admire people who are willing to take a stand to, you know, take their time and go out and do something like that. I will have to admit I have never marched 
in a protest. And um, to be honest, that does make me feel a bit embarrassed and ashamed. I wish I could explain why. I've never marched in a protest, but I truly can't. I think anything I would come up with would just sound a little shallow. I guess in a way, and this sounds kind of ridiculous, but I've never really felt like my presence would matter. But this, this sickness in my stomach about George Floyd and his family and his friends, you know, I, I may not have marched in a protest rally, but I do have a podcast, and I intend to use it. And so I just started thinking. My brain has just been grinding over the last couple days about all of this. But what if I wanted to do a podcast on this, what would I say? What is there to say that hasn't already been said? Probably nothing. But there's a few things that I'm just going to throw out there for what it's worth. I want to know, what is the deal with the whole us versus them mentality? Because as far as I'm concerned, if you think about it, it's just, it's just us. We're all us. There really is no them. But that's not how we behave, is it? It's really never been how we've behaved. If you looked back in history, it's everybody, there's always us and them, us and them. Well, and it caused me to think of a, of a poem, I guess you could call it. Um, and I'm going to tell you the name of the author, and I probably will mispronounce his last name, and I want to apologize for that ahead of time. But it's Martin Niemöller. Um, and I'll have all this in the show notes um, in case you want to look it up. But this is what his poem says. First, they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out, because I was not a Jew. Then they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak out for me. We have got to speak out for one another. But here's the thing. When the burned buildings are sitting in soggy ash and the shattered windows are being replaced and all of the dead are buried then what when the protesting marchers are back home making scrambled eggs and the mailman is back to his route has anything really changed Martin Luther King Jr. gave a truly inspiring and beautiful speech on August 28, 1963, at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. 
Now, I'm going to be reading some excerpts from this, but they're only just highlighted portions. So I would strongly encourage any listener to read the whole thing. It's actually even better if you can listen to him. You can, you can listen. They have him recorded because he's, he's just an amazing speaker. And to hear him speak it, it it's just, it, it's very, very moving. He was truly gifted. But if you would just have some patience with me, I'm going to read just some excerpts from his speech. Now, like I said, he delivered it in 1963. So he's, he's making references here in terms of years. But you have to remember, you got to add 57 more years onto that and see if we're any different. Um, so here we go. This is from Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself an exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. And those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. And there will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But there is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. And he spelled that, by the way, S-O-U-L, force, like your soul. Okay, continuing on with the I Have a Dream speech. Quote, the marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny and they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up 
and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day, on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. I can imagine listeners being overcome to the point of tears, especially if you listen to Martin Luther King Jr. read his own speech. My question, though, is after we dry the tears, how do we apply his dream? What can we do in our day-to-day lives to encourage this joining of hands? Well, a few things are floating through my mind. When I think of how George Floyd died, I think of the officers standing by in silence. And a quote by Simon Weisenthal, and again, if I mispronounced his last name, I would certainly apologize. But his quote comes to mind, and he says, quote, For evil to flourish, it only requires good men to do nothing, end quote. So how does that apply to us, to me? How many times have we stood in silence as someone made racist remarks or chuckled over a racist joke? At the time, it seems somewhat innocuous, but is it really this doing of nothing? I don't believe that the pigmentation of someone's skin should give them a pass for malicious behavior, be it dark or light. All races have those whose behavior is deplorable and should not be excused. It would be nice to be able to evaluate someone on his or her behavior and just leave the skin tone out of it. And while some of us will make great strides in this area, and while some of us will make great strides in this area, there will always be those whose filter only allows them to see what they need to see. I mean, you see this in politics. You see this when Democrats are trying to talk to Republicans. It's so rare to 
see these groups of people be able to have a calm and rational and cogent conversation with one another where they can discuss their differences of beliefs because they just can't see it. Their filter will only allow them to see things a certain way and they just cannot see it another way. They will not see it any other way. Another example comes to mind. I remember trying to have a conversation with who I would qualify as a bigot. And it was extremely frustrating. I was rather young at the time and thought in my naivete that if I presented enough logic, enough reasoning, reasoning, enough facts that he would have to at least see what I was saying. But no, it never happened. It's like it didn't matter what I said. It didn't matter. He was going to see it his way, period. And you're always going to have people like that. But you also have a lot more people that are not like that. You know, I've seen an African-American man on social media since George Floyd's death. And he was describing his personal qualities. Like what he liked to eat, what he didn't like to eat, places he liked to go. Things, things about him, personal things. It was sort of like how a captive would try to tell his name to a captor to force the captor to see him as a person with value. And I really loved that concept, what he was trying to do. And I feel like that's how we join hands. We, we get to know one another. A scene in the movie Remember the Titans comes to mind where they were at camp and the football team just was not gelling together. It was, you know, you had your Caucasians, you had your African-Americans, and they just were not gelling. And so one of the things, Denzel Washington, who, who was playing the coach, what he was requiring them to do was to pair up with a player of another race to get to know them. Of course, that alone didn't work, but it was, it was something. You know, sit down with someone. And of course, no matter what, you're always going to have some, and you did in that movie as well, who they're going to stick to their preconceived notions of a, of a group of a people, refusing to see individuals. They just see a group, no matter what. But there are so many more of us that are willing and ready to get to know individual people. So it kind of brings me to my last point. How do you do this? Because that's usually my last question and the question that hovers in the back of my mind, no matter who I'm listening to, the how. That sounds nice. How do you do it? And again, on some people might think, well, that's pretty easy to answer, but is it? Because it seems like we need to do more of it. So here's a few things that come to mind in terms of how. Strike up a casual conversation with somebody of another race or not just a race, maybe just someone who's different from you in some way. Maybe they're, they have a different religion. 
Maybe they have a different sexual orientation or whatever. Fill in the blank. Someone who's different from you in some way. Maybe you run into them in the grocery store or whatever. Just strike up a conversation. I know this is easier for some people than others. I get this. Because this is going to really require all of us to step out of our comfort zone. Everybody. The people in the majority, the people in the minority. Because if we're not willing to step out of our comfort zones and get to know each other, then there's going to be somebody after George Floyd and somebody after him and somebody after him and somebody after him. So let's say you strike up. Let's say you overcome your fear and you strike up a casual conversation with somebody. And they don't want to talk to you. Well, quite frankly, that is their prerogative. And don't get all butthurt and make it all about you. Maybe they had a bad day. Or maybe they have preconceived notions about the group you're in. And they're not willing to let their preconceived notions go. That may be the case. If it is, move on. Keep an open mind. Rather than assuming that this other individual is not going to like you. Okay? You go into a new place, whether you're going to a church, a grocery store, a, some kind of a mart of some sort, the mall. I don't care where you are. But if you're going to approach someone or interact with someone, try to let go of preconceived notions. Because the truth is you don't know them. You can see them. You can see what they're wearing. You can see what their hairstyle looks like. If they're a female, you can see if she's wearing makeup or not. You can see if she has her nails done. But do you really know them? No, you don't. Keep your mind open. I mean, for all you know, you might be looking at your next best friend. You don't know. Okay, the next thing. Consider visiting places where people don't look like you. And if you go with somebody else, like somebody who you're comfortable with, try not to cling together like you're on the last life raft of the Titanic, okay? If you're going to go to a new place where people that don't look like you hang out, and obviously you don't go to some place, you know, dangerous or whatever like that, but I mean, there's lots of different places. And again, I know. That this is going to require coming out of your comfort zone. You know, put on some extra deodorant, all right? Take an Advil, whatever. But this is going to require some change on our parts. This is not going to change on some kind of macro level. We've got to do this as individuals, as, as people reaching out to one another. And if somebody different from you visits one of your hangouts then by all means go talk to them don't just stare at them like some kind of strange bugs landed on your peanut butter and jelly sandwich go talk to them get to know them find out their name next point consider exchanging phone numbers so you can hang out share a meal Introduce them to your friends and your family. Okay, that's the next step. That's the next level of forming a relationship. You know, going, you know, if you're in a grocery store and you're standing next to somebody over the cucumbers that 
doesn't look like you and you strike up a casual conversation, that's great. That's great. But visiting some of these hangouts and things gives you a chance to really have more of a conversation and exchanging phone numbers takes it to the next level where you can really form a relationship. And the last thing to think about, maybe one relationship at a time. We can become just us instead of it being us versus them. Now, like I said, I know there's always going to be some people out there that they're just going to be stuck in this us versus them. They have to play out that, that narrative for some reason. You can't change that. Let that go. Okay? But you can do your part. You can form a relationship. So then maybe we get a little bit closer and a little bit closer to just being us. That we're all just us. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Um, Like I've said before, if you have any particular topics that you would like to hear discussed on Phoenix and Flame, you can send me an email on my website, phoenixandflame.com. Subscribe. If if you like this, tell your friends, share it around. But let's just all kind of pull together and be just us. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.